The Joe Rogan Experience. Train my day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night. Don't cut. Change result. Isn't it? Freestyle. Result. I'm Mick Garris, and this is Postmortem, and our guest is not only a master of horror films, but also a metal We interrupt your current broadcast, because it's time for Death by DVD. I'm Linnea, and I like Death by DVD. It's a statement. You are listening to Death by DVD. This is the first episode since Halloween 2021 has come to an end, and I'm going to be honest with everyone, I'm feeling a little bummed out. Now, I was scrolling through Twitter the other day and I saw someone had posted, I'm feeling some post-Halloween depression. I liked it. I laughed. It was a cute Twitter post. A couple hours later, I got a notification that there's some comments on this post. So I went and I read them. And lo and behold, there's always one asshole that's got a shit in the pie. They left what I'm gonna call a taggy comment. And I don't know any better term to say, it's a gatekeeper thing. And what they commented was, That's bullshit. There's no such thing as post-Halloween depression. Halloween is 365 days a year for me. All right. Ooh. Well, I have some points to make. One, let people like the things that they like. It doesn't affect you. Two, let people be bummed out over the things they want to be bummed out over. It does not affect you. Three, where do you get the pumpkins all year round? You say you live Halloween 365 days a year, where the fuck are you getting pumpkins all year round? But I, I don't know, I just think that's such a... I mean, it's a callous attitude, but it's just shitty. And it's not even about letting people like the things that they like, or letting them be bummed out about the things that they're bummed out about. But Halloween 365 days a year. I enjoy the song by Ministry, I'll give you that. But I consider myself a horror fan. I would probably say a big horror fan, I mean the show and everything like that. In fact, I think I can say honestly that I have watched a horror movie every day this year so far. And I get the concept. I get living Halloween 365 days a year. My house is filled with horror decor and Halloween decorations that I never take down. I've got pumpkin lights up, year-round skulls, skeletons, the whole nine yards. It looks like a Halloween store all year round. Still doesn't feel the exact same to me. I love it. I I love gothic stuff. I love horror stuff. I love spooky-ooky stuff. If I could have it my way, I'd have an all-black room. But it still doesn't feel the same. You see, in October, especially, you know, I'm speaking as an American, products change. There's a little bit of mystification in the air. The whole month doesn't quite feel like every other month. Every candy company puts something ooky-spooky on its label. Even beers. I mean, you've got seasonal beers, but there's a brand... I don't know why I'm going to explain what this brand is, because everybody knows what it is. Natural Light, they put out a special can this year, Natural Fright. Same beer, spooky can. (laughs) There's something awing about October. Nearly everybody is able to uh, disbelieve in life just for a little while, and then you finally get to that one day. And even parents that aren't in costumes that are walking with their children trick-or-treating, there's a magic to it. There's disbelief of... Reality, really. The world is filled with witches and goblins and monsters and ghosts, and everyone is in costume. Everyone is different for just that moment, for that brief little period of time on Halloween night. But the entire month builds up to that. I'll use the term again, there's mystification. Deciding if you celebrate Halloween. I mean, there's the Jehovah's Witnesses. Nothing against those guys, but they're not a Halloween person, so October's just October to them. So the Jehovah's Witnesses aside, You spend your month with anticipation, you're looking at costumes, you you decorate your house, you buy candy. You have that anticipatory feeling, are there going to be trick-or-treaters this year? But the whole month, I feel, has a magical sensation of suspended disbelief and awe and beauty about it. There's something very pretty, I think, about the idea of everyone, whether they like it or not, somewhat coming together over this, that there isn't 
prejudice, there isn't hate, there isn't all of the, the mundane and awful things that fill existence the other 364 days out of the year, as to where Halloween... I don't want to say everyone gets to become a child again because there's much more to it than the childlike awe and, and fascination of getting to play dress-up and being something that you're not, but for lack of better terms, if you can bear with me, there is something returning to a childlike state, and maybe it's the purity, maybe it's the fun of all of it, because people forget about having fun. The, the, it's not just growing up, but in general, I mean, some people have really hard lives and they've not had a chance to have fun. They know what it is. But Halloween comes around, it usually can be an experience of unholstered, pure joy and fun. And I know it's not the same for everyone. There's a lot of tragedies that happen in the world. There's things that you can't control. People experience death and loss, just like every other holiday, every other day of the year. So, I mean, I, I'm not trying to single it out, and, and hopefully you're not listening to this going, oh, I fucking hate that. I, I, I don't believe in what you're saying whatsoever, Hank. This clearly is situational. I feel like... I probably didn't need to explain the semantics behind that, but there you go, you got them. I believe that's called filler, actually. In the biz. Fucking podcast biz. <laughs> and to me, there's just something negative about the connotation of, yeah, bunch of fucking amateurs. I live Halloween 365 days a year. All right, cool, Glenn Danzig. That's fine, man. But some people enjoy the month. Some people enjoy the feeling of the month. And for Death by DVD, all month, October 2021, we celebrated monster movies. <laughs> we started in the 1950s, we moved all the way up into the 2000s, and I had a lot of fun doing that. I loved the feeling it gave me. I got to sit down and I got to watch monster movies. What's more fun than that? I mean, really, especially during October. And that was really the... the the point of doing those is here's some movies that you can sit and find to watch that are not the exact same ones that have played on AMC's Fear Fast for the last eight years. Well, I don't really want it to end. And I know. It's not October anymore. The feeling is gone. Halloween is over. We have to wait until next year. And honestly, it, there, there is something a little shocking about the 1st of November, how immediate Halloween ends. Now, Christmas lingers for a little while. Thanksgiving lingers for a little while, especially because you've got all that food in your fridge. So you can't help but have Thanksgiving two or three days in a row. Christmas, kind of the same thing. Easter, I guess Easter just is Easter. New Year's is obviously one fucking thing. But Halloween is just dead immediate. It turns midnight. It's gone. So it's just like, fucking get the pumpkins, throw them out. Burn the decorations, no more ghosts, don't believe in ghosts, hate them, fuck skeletons, nope, all gone. And what happens to a spirit Halloween store at midnight on October 31st? Do they just, like, disappear into the multiverse? They're gone. They're gone the next day. And I hear all the time that they have these, like, 30, 40, 50% off sales the next day after Halloween, and I've driven around looking for them. The vacant buildings they were in are just gone like they've been sucked into the earth. Halloween just disappears on November 1st. Well... That's not happening on Death by DVD this year. We're going to extend it one more night. One more episode. We're going to talk about monsters. I mean, it's not the last time ever. This is a horror podcast. We're bound to talk about monsters again. But for the sake of our month-long monster extravaganza, Monster Meltdown, we're going to do it one more time. And the whole point of my rant isn't uh, trying to attack anybody. And the people I'm discussing on Twitter aren't celebrities. It wasn't anyone specific. In fact, I don't... I, honestly, I don't even think I could tell you their Twitter handles. But it was the exchange of words that made me think in general. Don't be a dick. Is it so hard in your day to just not be a dick? You're sitting with your phone in your hand on the internet, scrolling through people's comments, and you're just being a dick? What is that getting you? And really, I don't think that's a, a real horror fan. I don't think you're a true horror fan if you're going out of your way to make fun of somebody for how they feel, especially about Halloween, or horror in general. It, it doesn't fucking matter. Absolutely everything's subjective. There's a lot on this show where I've said I don't like things. I don't hate them. There's very few things I hate in this world. Uh, I, I can name them, actually. John Cougar Mellencamp, Billy Joel, and Jay Leno. Those are really, like, the, the three things I, I adamantly can say I hate in this world. Not fond of Dennis Leary either, but that's a different story. I love the movie Suicide Kings, though. Dennis Leary, Christopher Walken, Johnny Galecki, Jay Marr. I just feel a true horror fan would respect another horror fan's feelings because you guys like something that's in common. You're part of the mutant fam. You're one of the rare few freaks that enjoys this type of stuff. Try and look at it this way. 
If someone is bummed out because Halloween has ended, and you feel that you live Halloween 365 days a year, instead of being an asshole, how about you message that person and give them tips and tricks so they too can live in your filigree fancy world where it's always Halloween? I just uh, have gotten to really questioning people. Why is it so hard to not be a dick? Why is that the first easiest thing to do is to just be an asshole to a complete and utter stranger who likes the same fucking thing you do? So really, this episode is dedicated to that random person on Twitter who got made fun of. Because I'm with you. I'm bummed out. You wait all year for it, and the feeling is just, I, I, it's hard to explain. If you feel it, you understand exactly what I'm saying, but the first of October rolls around, and it's like a Christmas story, I guess. I mean, Halloween really is Christmas for the counterculture, the horror scene, whatever the fuck you want to call it, horror fans in general. But I mean, the October 1st comes around, and you hear the music in your head. You, you know it's going to get spooky. The leaves suddenly start falling differently. Every piece of candy you see has a ghost and goblin on it. You can't help but feel some sort of awe and wonderment, and if you don't... Well, I hate to say it, but you just might be an asshole. No offense. Or all of the offense. Either or. Take it as you want to. I think I, my point has, has gotten made. I think I've gotten <laughs> that, that drawn out long enough that it's understood by everyone. So let's go back to what I said a couple minutes ago, or hours ago, however long this has been going on already. Monster movies. We're going back to monster movies. Now, when our series ended, it ended in the 2000s. I am not extending that. In fact, I'm going backward. But it doesn't matter. Because the whole point of my rant is about fun. The month of October, you build up to Halloween, even if you just wear a costume to treat, which is what I did this year. It can be an immense amount of fun. I had so much joy seeing other people, seeing children have joy, seeing the parents with these children have joy talking to people. It really, uh, it, it just seems more often than not, especially in this, this COVID era we're living in, where everyone has had to distance themselves, where people have had to realize and learn what they can do to occupy their time when you can't be around other people. I think it's made fun, like this, this distant concept, fun. I, I, I faintly remember what fun was, but could you explain it to me? And... Halloween is fun. The feeling all of us had just a little while ago on October 31st, that was fun. So let's get back to it. Let's try and do something fun. I didn't want to go into the 2010s. What the fuck do you call them? It doesn't matter. But I felt I had the perfect movie. It's not scary. I'll admittedly say it's not specifically a horror movie. Kind of. It kind of is a horror movie. All the main characters are monsters. But I think it's time for the unveiling and my introduction. I am Hank, the world's greatest your host, and we are going to be discussing 1991's Frankie and his pals. I'm Big Frankie! Directed by Gerald Cormier, written by Gerald Cormier and Al Kuna. Now, Jared Cormier is not a well-known name in the annals of exploitation history, but he had made several films before this one, most notably a film from 1974 called Terror Circus, also known as Nightmare Circus, and the best title, Barn of the Naked Dead, which starred Andrew Prine. Good old Andrew Prine. We need to do an Andrew Prine episode of Death by DVD, some Prine pride, baby. If you are not aware of the epic work of Andrew Prine, that is your homework. Go check him out, run to Wikipedia, read all about that guy, and look up his movies, because there is a cavalcade of good ones. Well, good, quotation mark. You are listening to Death by DVD after all. It's questionable what's good and bad on this show. But usually I have a monstrous amount of information about who did this movie and how the movie was filmed and what happened during the era that it was being filmed in. Not this time. I don't know much about this guy. There's not much that I, I was able to learn about him. And Intervision put this out on DVD last year. And through that DVD, you learn, unfortunately, Gerald Cormier, or Mr. C, as he was affectionately known as, passed away in 2017. His body of work, I hope someday there is more light shown on, too. I would love to read more and learn more about this guy. Because the movie we're going to talk about... I'm not going to lie to the audience. I will not lie to you fine people. I'm not going to say it's a particularly good movie. It's pretty goofy. 
bad. I mean, you could. It, I don't want to be insulting right off the bat. It's a bad movie. But I feel everyone that worked on it kind of can acknowledge and understand, like, yes, this is a, a very goofy, bad movie. But sometimes, more often than not, to be honest, bad movies turn out to be really good. They turn out to be really good because of the heart that was put into them, the soul that was put into them, the work that was put into it. Not always are they the most believable things, and Frankie and his pals certainly is not a believable movie at all, but at the same time, yeah, it kind of is. It's a movie that I don't think could figure out if it was going to be a late-night TV sort of thing or a nudie-cutie sort of thing, and it ends up being a hodgepodge of both of them mixed together, and it's complimentary toward itself, but I don't want to get into this episode, and if you've not seen this movie, you sit there and think that this is your average shot-on-shittio horror movie. There are a lot of different things. This movie is very, very different than most of the ones that we have discussed on this show. This takes us back to something more of the Vice Academy feeling, but it's no, it's nowhere near as sleazy as that. It's, it's got adult themes, but mind you, this is a 1991 movie, so the adult themes were not as questionable then as I think as they are now. And besides from some misogynistic humor, and I would say a very abhorrent depiction of African Americans, the movie's kind of harmless. There are some characters that are shown throughout the film that I think are, are very southern depictions, it's a fucking California film, of African Americans that it doesn't fly, doesn't feel right, doesn't come off well or complimentary whatsoever. But again, it is of its time period. That's not an excuse. I'm not trying to fucking make an excuse for that. But again, it's not really... It's not like this movie was released by Miramax, you know? So all that aside, Frankie and his pals. <laughs> now, if you've not heard of this movie, I don't blame you. The DVD that Intervision released was actually created from the original VHS. There is no master, and it's questionable if there actually ever was a master tape, but it's unavailable, it's lost. So that says something about the status of this movie. I really don't think outside of some video stores in Redding, California, that this really got what you would call a release. I may be wrong, and I am all the time, but I don't think that this movie ever was released released. I don't think it was shown on television in the 90s. I don't think it got a theatrical run. There were screenings of it, I'm sure, but aside from a very small area in California, this movie's legacy is very, very tight. I mean, not like in 2002 when people said that's tight and they meant cool. Like, it's really small and tight and go, Why the fuck do I spend time explaining semantics when you understood me? I guarantee the audience completely understood what I was saying. Oh, wait, yeah, I explained the whole filler thing earlier. Sorry. So this movie's beginning, middle, and end are filled with insanity. And it's immediate. When the movie begins, if you're paying attention and you're reading those opening credits, they are some of the silliest, if not the silliest credits I've ever seen. But it sets the mood for the movie. You see how much fun they're having when this film starts. You can tell it's shot on shittio. You see the opening credits and the words Frankie and his pals roll over it in this big cartoonish, looks like it was done on an old Apple graphic. You know what you're getting into. When the credits begin, you get stuff like The Zapper, Gripologist, Ooh, or The Soundman, who is also producer, is the editor for this movie. The Grip from Hell. Here's one I really, really liked. Holistic Readings and Post-Production Services. And of course, when it comes to the cast, they're referred to as the important ones. The extras and B-cast, the less important ones. That's funny. And that's fun. I don't mean to say this in a way that would dog indie filmmakers, but when you're making a cheap product, and you know it's a cheap product, if you can poke fun at it being a cheap product, the audience is going to relate to that more. It's going to take the edge off. You're not going to have the asshole that's sitting there going, oh man, this is so fucking cheap. They're going to laugh at the aspect of going, well, at least they know it's cheap. So you win the edgelords over by doing something like that. And I don't know if that was the uh, intent or direction of this movie, because I think the point of this movie is honestly just to have fun. I, I said earlier, I don't think it really knew... The direction it was going into, I don't think the production crew knew what direction it was going into. Are we making a nudie cutie? Are we making a family-friendly movie? Are we making something for kids? Or is it for late-night TV? It ends up being a mix of all of it. When the movie begins, you've got this very first scene of a crazy mad scientist that's on the phone with a general, and they're discussing a time machine, and he's got a very buxomy, ditzy assistant that's rubbing up all over against him. 
And you go from the credits to that, and it's like, okay, what have I gotten into? At any minute, it feels like people are going to start having sex. The beginning of this movie has the air and feeling of a very, 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 very cheap porn. And I'm kind of surprised it's not. It almost might have been more successful and gotten sold if some people fuck. Which, they do, but I mean like, you know, dick and balls and close-ups of it all. Again with the semantics. Dicks and balls and close-ups of it all. Sounds like the name of a great biography, I just don't know who. And after this introduction scene with the scientists, the movie begins. We've got two grave diggers, one telling the other about monsters that are trapped in this cave inside a mountain. Why are there monsters trapped in a cave inside a mountain? Well, there was an avalanche. And they ran inside the cave to hide from it. That's our explanation. At that point, we cut, it flashes to the monsters inside the cave inside the mountain, and we get to meet them. We meet Frankie, which is sort of self-explanatory, Drac, a vampire, Hump, the hunchback, Ride me, cowboy! Ride me, cowboy! Wolfie, again, I feel this one is self-explanatory, and Mummy, who has a little creature named Apophis that lives inside of his stomach, a little puppet monster. Damn, honey. Am I that good? And when they show Apophis, they do, it's, it's videotape, remind you, they do these cuts of the mummy, and then they've imposed a video shot of the monster, the little puppet, moving inside and out of him. It's beyond even the cheapness of Power Rangers episodes. I'm talking dirt cheap here. But oddly, there was a whole production crew. This was a deeply professional shoot, astoundingly enough. The more you know. And then at this point, we cut back and forth between the monsters and the grave diggers until we are introduced to the mayor and city council members of the town French Gulch, California. And they are discussing a massive debt that the town only has 10 days left to pay. All of this together leads us to the movie's plot, which remarkably is followed all the way through. And I've got to say, that's impressive, because most Blumhouse movies can't do that. But this freakish shot on shittio monster adventure movie, which is a stretch to call it that, manages to do so. And I'm not trying to blow this movie up. I'm not trying to, like, sell a copy of it to you, because it's out of print. Aww. Before the recording of this episode, though, I jumped on eBay, and it's affordable. I actually think you can get it cheaper on eBay than it was when Intervision put it out. But I'm not suggesting our audience go out of their way to find this movie illegally. But if there's a will, there's a way. So this grave digger, he mentions lore of hidden gold lost in the town. Meanwhile, the monsters are playing poker, which I possibly could be looking too deeply at this, but all these monsters were out wandering around the mountain. There was an avalanche and they got caught inside the cave, but they all have playing cards. Dracula has his coffin, the mummy has a sarcophagus, Humper even has a cot, and they've got tons and tons and tons of canned beans. Beans, what the fuck? Why just spill your beans? What type of cave is this? Was it pre-stocked, or did they just, were they carrying all this around? I, questions that we shall never receive an answer for. Probably questions I'm the only person that has ever asked, and ever will ask. So the monsters are playing cards, and Humpty puts up a mysterious map that he was carrying with him the entire time up for a bet. So, the town needs money, there's a rumor of hidden gold, and the hunchback has a map. And we are off to the races. This movie easily could have been a late 80s, early 90s, Roger Corman children's film, young adult film, like Munchies. But it is not. It is totally different. It's the same sport, but a different league, so to say, which I just did. Things start getting really interesting here, which is a good thing, because it's the beginning of the movie, so that tends to help. Now, this is definitely reading into things a bit much, but we transition between the monsters realizing the map leads to lost gold and the city council's plight of needing money. And it's sort of a, who are the real monsters? Who are the real cannibals? You know what I mean? It's that type of deal. Is it the actual monster monsters or the rather sleazy political types? That is not a difficult question to answer. But the monsters, the the, uh, the, the monster monsters, 
They're trapped inside a cave. We would not have a movie if they didn't get out. And boy howdy, is it a great escape. After eating a ridiculous amount of canned beans, Frankie says, I've got a fart! The humpback murmurs, oh shit. And probably my favorite line of dialogue is uttered by Frankie, no, it's just a fart. And boom, he farts a hole in the cave. Brilliant! I should shoot on. The only thing that I guess I really truly question though when it comes to this movie is if they had all those beans the whole time, why didn't Frankie just ass blast his way out of there sooner? But who am I to question all that is Frankie and his pals? That ain't for me to do. That's between Frankie, his pals, and God. Freedom for the ragtag monster mashup means that they can search for the gold and the movie has finally begun. Now, there's this whole plot also with the scientist who is working on a time machine with the really ditzy assistant. And guess what they need? You can guess. They need gold to get the time machine working. Of course, gold. But nothing gets neglected as the story progresses oddly. Somehow, some freak way, everything works out in the end. But it is a journey to get there, literally for the characters and, and you, the audience, the viewer. You will endure the horrors of a terrible monster rap. Frankie learning to fuck, farts a go-go. There's a dance party, of course, why wouldn't there be? It's got so much. You experience so much terrible shot on video wacky antics, and it's almost to a slapstick degree. And though it's remarkably bad, this really is a marvel of the video era, the specific mid to late 80s going into the early 90s, up to like 95 or so, shot on video era. I don't want to say it's insane because that's somewhat misleading. When you say a movie's insane, it's like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That movie's insane. Yes, that makes sense. But this, it's crazy for lack of better terms. It's much more friendly than something like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's crazy. Asinine and crazy. The monster rap, though, uh, it, it's, it's an atrocity. I love it. Smell something terrible. They've been gassed. They headed for the opening very fast. The explosion was big, it brought in some light. Drac asked Frankie, is it's it just, day It's or so not? kitschy, it's so tacky, it's in an era where people really weren't familiar with hip-hop or rap or how verses worked or the point of rhythmic alternative poetry, and it's, it's so goofy. I mean, it's a honky rap. It's a white guy's attempt at rap, and it's about Frankie and his pals. So it's about a farting Frankenstein and his wolfman friend and Apophis and the mummy, and it's just ridiculous. I love it. I think, and this is a bold statement here, I think it's better than the John Waters rap in Cecil B. Demented. Cecil B. Demented, sorry. I just can't help but love it. It's just so simple. Everyone wants the gold. The monster's got the map. And then the next 60 minutes is brain-rotting silliness. It's the equivalent of candy. Really, this movie is like the equivalent of coming home on Halloween night with a big satchel filled with candy and sitting down and going into a sugar coma and just rotting your brain and your teeth. This is a huge piece of candy. Laffy Taffy. The werewolf is a premature ejaculator. Frankie, apparently, is a dance machine. It just, it, it has everything. It goes everywhere. It goes to the most bizarre and unnecessary places. It's it's really like a carnival of a movie. It, it's it's just a deep fried Snickers bar. It's completely unnecessary, but you still want to eat it. Or, on the other side of that, you're completely and utterly fucking disgusted by it and you want nothing to do with it. And I understand. Yeah, I'm out here doing an entire episode about a shot on video movie from the early 1990s. This is not everyone's cup of tea, but also, we're doing a long-term Andy Milligan show on here, so you don't really get to win <laughs> when you listen to Death by DVD. You don't get anything that you want unless you email us. You can go to www.deathbydvd.com. You can suggest a movie. We got a whole place set up on our website where you can suggest a movie. You can chat with us. You can cut that and email us at deathbydvd at deathbydvd.com. What do you want to hear on the show? If you don't want to hear more like Frankie and his pals, let us know. If you do... Bless you. Thank you. <laughs> and regardless, no, I'll take everything with a grain of salt and probably continue doing movies.
like Frankie and his pals. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk. Let's get back to the show. With Frankie and his pals, you're, you're kind of bombarded constantly with, with fairly juvenile humor. But come on. I'm not trying to defend the era that it was made in and use that as an excuse as to why this movie is bad. But it is a time capsule piece, but not really either. It, it's just a, a goof bucket fucking movie. I think one of the best parts of the movie, though, is that no one questions that these monsters are walking around town whatsoever because the movie takes place on Halloween! <laughs> so everyone's in costume. Despite how wacky absolutely everything is, there actually is sense to all of it. Somebody actually put forth effort into not leaving plot holes in Frankie and his pals, and it's successful there aren't any. I mean, aside from, why were there so many cans of beans in that cave? But that is the type of hero we need. It doesn't matter how cheap the movie is. It doesn't matter what the production is like. It doesn't matter if the movie's been sold yet. The attention to detail is always appreciated. And I mean, it really is. It changes this movie. The fact that somebody paid fucking attention to it, there is continuity. And when there isn't, there's scenes that make fun of the lack of continuity that they call it out. Something I said at the beginning of the show, they were aware of what they were doing. They were aware of how cheap this product was. They laid upon themselves with it, so the audience wouldn't hit them back. They took the hit that the critics and the audience usually would do with that expectation. This sucks, this is cheap. You fucking make fun of it yourself, man. It draws the attention away and it helps the production because the audience can get past it. I got past it, so I feel you can too. I keep talking about how it's cheap, but it, it's really not that cheap. I mean, there's a real production crew behind this. It is shot on video, but they used proper equipment. Sound was recorded the right way. There were apparently investors in this movie. It, it just didn't happen. But for the sake of you, the audience, and this episode in general, I don't think going through Frankie and his pals scene by scene is going to be the most entertaining thing. You just gotta experience the ride for yourself. I can't explain to you how big Frankie learns to fuck or why they call him Big Frankie. Hi, I'm little Jane. Are you Big Tarzan? No, I'm Big Frankie. You're not kidding. That is an experience you 100% must have for yourself. I will say Frankie, Wolfie, Mummy, and Humper rock out in the key of X, and it's almost as bad as the rap. So that means I love it. It's like early white zombie. But you see, bad is good. And good is bad, apparently, on this upside-down-ass show. When I say I hate it, ah, it's fucking great. It's so terrible. I love it. I said earlier, a bit sarcastically, that this is a bit of an adventure movie, but it really is. You see, they get out of the cave, and they go to the town of French Gulch, where it's Halloween, so there's parties going on everywhere. And with a runtime of 1 hour and 27 minutes, there's got to be something more than monsters escape from a cave and look for gold. Farting, fucking, and funking. It's got it all. In the end, though, everything works out. Sort of. The town gets its money, we find out that the time machine works, but our heroes are sent off somewhere into the future, or the past. And I with deep regret have to say, unfortunately, there is no sequel available. Yet. The adventures of Frankie and his pals are unknown, but they're still out there, somewhere. Just like Dr. Sam Beckett, who is leaping to this day. Have you ever woken up and felt a little strange, displaced, like you're not yourself? Look in the mirror. Dr. Sam Beckett could have leaped into you. God damn it, I love Quantum Leap. Really do. Really, really love Quantum Leap. Might be my favorite show. There's just so much goddamn hope. There's just so much goddamn hope. With Quantum Leap. Shot on video movies are usually not what you would call very good. And this one is absolutely no exception. I will say it is terribly fun. The fact that this was written, produced, finished, it, it, to me that's astonishing. But sort of, I don't know, it, it's, it's kind of marvelous. Sometimes something is just so laughably bad you can't help but enjoy it with, with like a heartwarming sense. Like, fuck, these people set out to make a movie and they did. They, they did. They finished it and they made it. I can appreciate that. And the farts. I appreciate especially all the farts. 
I personally am a really big fan of regional films, and this particular movie isn't exactly in that category. I mean, it, it is and it isn't. And at some point in the near future, we're going to be starting a whole long-running series about regional films on Death by DVD, and we'll explain this more then than we will right now. But when it comes to California categorizing and coming up and, and looking, is this a regional film, is this not a regional film, is really difficult. Because one, California's fucking huge, and two, it's a lot of fucking people that live in that really fucking huge state. So it, it's, it's, it's difficult to discern, because when it comes to a regional film, obviously it's all in the title. It's a film that's made regionally somewhere. That usually means, like, Let's talk about Boggy Creek for a second. It's a Texarkana movie. Everybody in that movie was from Texarkana. It was locally shot, produced. There was no other money aside from things deeply inside Texarkana. So that's what makes Boggy Creek a regional film. Let's say it one more time because it's fun to say Texarkana, Texarkana, Texarkana. It just sounds fun. I mean, I know it's between Arkansas and Texas, but Texarkana just sounds like some fruity fun drink with pineapple in it. Get me one of those Texarkanas with a little umbrella in it. I like saying it. Texarkana. But I mean, really, this this is close enough, Frankie and his pals, it's close enough to a, a regional film that you, if you enjoy that sort of thing, if you're into that genre, if you have a passion for that type of film, you, you easily can understand why I think Frankie and his pals is charming. I think it's a charming movie. And, I mean, fuck, Sleepless in Seattle. That's a charming movie, right? I mean, that's what people would say about it. This is a different type of charm. This is a very kitschy strange level of charm this is like it's not anywhere near similar to a john waters movie but it's like a john waters level of kitsch i feel this is the type of movie that john waters would show people you know this is something that it's not offensive really but it's kind of just astonishing that it's and i don't i i, I think i said this earlier and i don't mean this as an, an insult or an assault on anybody that was involved in this movie but it's just said fucking bad it's just it's it's unbelievably bad. It's an adventure story about a monster who farts his way out of a cave and they go exploring for gold. It's got these like weird rawhide style western tactics from old TV shows. It goes into this adventure thing. There's a lot of sex. There's a lot of blue humor. Uh, but it's I I still I'll stick with what I said at the beginning. I don't think it's terribly inappropriate <laughs> but it's not really appropriate like I don't know who the fuck you'd want to show this movie to I don't know who I could sit down and say hey you want to watch this movie and you can you can lie to people and explain to them what it's about and try and trap people into doing it but I don't know anybody personally in my life that would, would sit down and enjoy Frankie and his pals I did um cause I'm fucking <laughs> I, did I, I don't know <laughs> I mean, really, I sit and I, it's all I do. I sit and I watch stuff for this fucking show, and I come up with things that we're going to talk about and what's going to happen on this show. A good portion of my life, I'm stuck behind a screen watching movies of all shapes and sizes. I watch Palm Door winning films. I watch independent horror films. I try to keep up with what's new and what's coming out and who the new stars are and what everybody's into. And it gets, uh, it almost gets assaulting to it a point. It just feels like, you're getting beaten with the media. Death by DVD, beaten by Blu-ray, slaughtered by streaming. And you find something like this, and you sit down and you watch it. To me, it, it it's meditative almost. It, it erases all of the anxiety of keeping up with the Rotten Tomatoes scores and what movie's hip and who hates what. You sit down and you can just kind of zone out. For me, I remember an era of watching ridiculous films like this on late night TV and having a great amount of enjoyment doing so. And if you can go back and capture that feeling, it's absolutely great. If you can, it might be lost upon you because it is a shot on video movie about a bunch of fucking monsters that are looking for gold. Albeit goofy and pretty bad. No millions of dollars behind the movie, clearly. The production, the actors, were almost all local people. They were all friends that had come together. They had worked together before. They had done productions and plays together before. And they created this Frankenstein's monster of a movie. Pun intended. The movie itself didn't even have a real shooting script. Which, I, I hate defending this movie... But it all works out without it. It, d it didn't need the shooting script. It needed the idea. It takes about 30 seconds to explain what happens in this movie. So at that point, the script could have just been jotted down on cocktail napkins. It wouldn't have made a difference. But I do definitely feel I have more questions than anything. 
Like, for example, what market was this movie made for? Who was this movie made for? It had investors. I mean, did, did they ever try to sell it besides we roughly have an idea for a market? And if they did, what fucking idea of the market was it on this time period? Comedies like this were really successful in Asian countries, and that's what most of the cast had been told. We're going to sell it somewhere in Asia. It'll, it'll run on Asian TV. That's a big fucking, you know pool of places that you can't just an Asian which one there's a lot of them which TV station and of course everyone that was involved in this at some point in their life had had, had been a thespian had had worked non-professionally so all the actors for them this was their their first big experience on a film set this was them getting to feel like movie stars and when you get to work on a movie it doesn't matter how fucking big it is it doesn't matter if you know that it's going to be sold somewhere, when you're an actor, when you're working on the film, it's really important to you because you're working on it, and at that moment in time, you're a movie star. And it's just like Halloween. On October 31st, you're whatever. You're a pirate. You're a ghost. You're a goblin. Me? I went as Silvio Dante from The Many Saints of Newark. The Sopranos prequel. You get to be whatever you want to. So while this movie's being made, I don't think anyone sat down and questioned, well, when's it going to come out? You know, when am I going to see it? Who, who's, what audience is this made for? Which is kind of a shame because the movie, I wouldn't even say fell into ambiguity. It just dis-a-fucking-peered. I, I personally had no idea what this film was until Severin made it available and I read the description and thought to myself, well, that sounds like something I'm going to deeply enjoy. And I did. I'm glad I purchased it. I say Severin, but Intervision released this film, but they, they go hand in hand. It's all the wonderful David Gregory behind the big screen with Severin and Intervision, so pardon me. I mean, really, it makes me wonder, and I'd like to know if this movie existed outside of one California video store for the last 20 years. And I, It is kind of strange that it didn't go on anywhere, though, because I've said multiple times, yeah, sure, it's a bad movie, but there's nothing particularly indifferent to... The majority of shot on video regional films, it, it some are better than others. Yes, definitely. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of Don Dohler. I don't think this movie compares to Don Dohler's work whatsoever. Even though he made very cheap, goofy films, there's a lot going on. There's a lot put into it, even though sometimes he would just remake movies that he'd done previously. Still, there is... Uh level of quality to it, despite it being a goofy fucking rubber monster movie, this, I'm not saying, lacks any form of quality. It's just a, a very different thing. And using Don Dollar again as a reference, you know, he, he made fairly serious pictures. This imposes on itself with its goofiness. This movie acknowledges and understands that we're very cheap, we're very goofy, and it tries to let you go on that ride. It's very fourth wall breaking. There's a lot of funny scenes where the movie recognizes its own faults and that helps you as the viewer have a little bit more of a fun time. And I, I jokingly said a few minutes ago, I don't know who the fuck you'd show this movie to. And I, I really don't. I always hate advocating some sort of substance, but this is a movie you can smoke a joint to, have a beer with, uh, goof off. It really is a bit of an inebriation dedication film. It's something that, you know, with friends, sure, maybe find a drinking game. Every time somebody farts, have a shot, something like that. But it's, I like the fact that this has life. There are so many films in general that, uh, regional indie films, whatever you want to call them, that never got the life of day. People worked really, really hard on, and... It's not a matter of it being good or bad. And I know that's a, a massive point with criticism and film criticism. Yes, there needs to be a, a discernment of what is good or bad or the opinion of what is good and bad. And, you know, you listen to a show like this because you like my opinion. You want to hear what I have to say about things, and I completely understand that. But there's also a point where you have to get past that and, one, have your own opinion for yourself, and two, realize absolutely everything is fucking subjective. The idea of good or bad doesn't matter at the end of the day. What matters is some point in time in 1990, all these people got together. Jerry Cormier made this film, and the experience the people had, you can, if you find yourself a copy of the DVD that was released by Intervision, you can see these people years later excited talking about it and how they've shown their friends and their family and thought it was gone forever. It's nice that this has been resuscitated for the sake of art, for the sake of... Uh, not just film, but in general, the, the over-encompassing idea of art that it exists, it's created, it's, it's for people to see. So when it's lost, that's just so heartbreaking that this thing that obviously was made for people to see can't be seen. 
So you can thank deeply David Gregory and Intervision for allowing this movie to be seen by people again, if it's your thing. I know a lot of people that listen to the show kind of take word as bond and go find the movies that we talk about and, and take what we say about them very, very seriously. So I want to say again, this is a goofy movie. Its spirit is goofy. Its nature is goofy. I don't like saying this, but it's a bad film. It, it's a fucking terrible movie. It's really, really bad. But please don't let that sway you from, ah, oh, you said it's a bad movie. Bad is good, good is bad. It doesn't matter because all of it's absolutely subjective. What's most important is, is it fun? Did you like it? Did you enjoy the experience? Did you have a nice time? Did you enjoy yourself while doing it, just like Halloween? Did you fucking enjoy that night? Did you have fun with that feeling? Then on November 1st, if you're feeling a little bummed out, guess what? Most of us are too. You can live that way 365 days a year. You can be all about horror. But you can also have fun. Never forget to have fun. And this movie, from the beginning to end, did not forget to have fun at all. It, it carried it the entire way through. And it made sense. That's one of the few things I ask for that I'm baffled by. Things just don't make sense at all anymore. You can throw whatever the fuck you want to on the screen, and eh, it's an homage. Ah, just make something goddamn make sense. Write a story and make it make sense. Frankie and his pals. That should be motivation to modern indie directors. Frankie and his pals make sense. Why the fuck doesn't your movie? And I'm not, you know, calling anybody out in particular. I There's literally nothing on my mind when I make that reference. I'm as blank as a fart. It's just in general. And not just indie. I mean, I say indie and I'm talking about Blumhouse. So. Indie. But just like the end of the movie, all the questions that I have... We may never get an answer for. We'll never know. But I may be the only person who wants answers to these questions. If you have no expectations, I think you'll really enjoy this movie. It's got an awesome soundtrack, and it's just completely over the top. It's silly, it's goofy fun. I wish the investors, whomever they were for this movie, would get back together and consider a sequel. I may not be entirely serious about that. But who knows? And more importantly, who cares? Frankie and his pals. If you can appreciate a good fart joke, then you can appreciate this movie. Hi, fellas! In regards to making this movie, Eric Weathersby, who played Frankie, said, Dream big. And you know what? That's true. It really is. No matter how silly it is, dream big. I'm going to leave you fine folks with that sentiment. Frankie and his pals. Find it. See it. Have some fun. And of course, dream big. Until next time, I am Hank, the world's greatest. The ashtray is full, and the bottle is empty. me it's been a while i'm sure that you can tell by the music that it's time for another round of keith david or david keith in 1983's the lords of discipline a well-regarded senior at a southern military academy Will McLean is assigned to keep an eye on the school's first African-American cadet, Tom Pierce, so that no harm comes to him. Determined to protect Tom, Will discovers that there is a secret group within the academy out to recruit the new student. However, their motives aren't honorable and they aren't concerned about taking their violent initiation too far, leading Will to step into a dangerous situation. Who plays the well-regarded senior at a Southern Military Academy? 
is it Keith David? Or is it David Key? Hachi Tachi Liberace. It's David Keith. That one was a curveball, wasn't it? Well, I'm afraid to say that's it. That's the end. The show's over. Until next time, goodbye and good luck. Portions of today's programming have been mechanically reproduced. The management and the staff wish you a pleasant good night and good morning.